Well, it is a special Father's Day. Yes, yeah, special day here. And uh, we are absolutely blessed as we get to sing to our Father who art in heaven, huh? And praise Him and honor Him, glorify Him, just uh, adoring Him. We adore this Father, don't we? And um, the Father had a plan. His purpose is coming together and everything is working out exactly the way that He has in mind. That's the kind of Father we have. He'll always come through. No matter what, He will always come through. Well, we get to a section in this chapter uh, 6 where we're uh, continuing our journey, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And it's a very important juncture where we're at now. I mean, this is really an important place because it's dealing with the 12 apostles being chosen by Jesus to follow and learn from Him because they are going to be the very ones who are going to take up the mantle and continue where the church is to do as Jesus started it. These men are very common Nothing special about them at all. They're very ordinary. To take this precious gospel, to minister it, and to keep the church going. And speaking humanly, had it not been for them to continue what they would have done, it would have ended with Jesus and then that would have been it. There would be no church. There would be no meeting like this. There would be no praising God and glorifying Him in Christ because um, that would have been it. Jesus came, died, rose. That's it. The message would have stopped. We needed people like them to carry on the gospel. So it was time in uh, Jesus' ministry to prepare men to continue it on, to be representatives, ambassadors for Him. And uh, of course, at this time, Jesus is now really feeling the heat. You guys felt the heat lately? <laughs> He's feeling the heat more uh, more than one way. Um, there was hostility. There was hatred. Um, there were people who wanted to kill him, and that's really what we spent uh, as far as in Luke 5 and also in Luke 6 already, where there are people desiring to get rid of him because he claims to be really the Son of God and doing his miracles and preaching with authority. So he uh, picks out some key men to carry this on. It's time to choose them. Very intense training they have because they have very short time <clears throat> to uh, learn what Jesus has to teach them. Um, you would think that Jesus would have at least picked men who were kind of already men who were trained, had had training. These men that he chooses are not theologically trained whatsoever. They are not scribes. They are not rabbis in themselves at all. They're not even rabbis. They're not lawyers. They're not Pharisees. They're not Sadducees. They're not priests. They're just common men. They had no elite academics to claim. They hadn't written any books. Hadn't been on any talk shows. Nobody knew them. Where did these guys come from? There's a reason why they weren't at the high levels. For one thing, it was part of God's plan. Because if they would have come from high levels, they would have taken credit for a lot of the things that were going on. They weren't high in Jewish society because one reason is that they were thick-headed. If you're wondering what thick-headed means, it means they weren't too bright sometimes. The light wasn't always on. You just don't get it, do you? Jesus said to them. You just don't understand it. Are you still without understanding? How many times do I have to explain this? That's that's the disciples. As they learned from Him those short years they were with Him, Jesus was rejected by the religiously trained. In fact, they hated Him so much, but He had become so popular. He became popular because He healed and He cast out demons and he spoke with authority. And you have people coming out by the thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands. Yet you have these people that are hostile to the gospel. 
and they don't want his message to go on. They reject him. They reject him being the Son of God, the Messiah. Reject his message, the gospel. They reject him. They seek to murder him. That's really what it's about. I think it's time to get some disciples who are apostles because Jesus isn't going to be around a lot too long. He knows that. Now these guys aren't the stained glass type of saints, you know, people hold in high esteem. Of course, have you seen the stained glass windows? You know, they're just beautiful, they're gorgeous. Used to see them at a lot of churches, you know. Always liked it, you know, it's, they're kind of cool, there's nothing wrong with them. But uh, a lot of people think that, you know, the higher up are the ones who are on those stained glass windows. You know, pictures of them and such. Well, they really weren't like that. Um, In some senses, you could have called them a ragtag bunch. Uh, Not likely at all to ever be known by much anybody. And I'll tell you what, this really gives encouragement to us. Because they were a bunch of nobodies. I mean, besides your family and friends, co-workers and such, who else knows you? You know, out in the world. Well, Facebook friends, that expands it way out there now, right? But you might have a few hundred, might have a few thousand. But really, compared to the billions that live on the world, they don't know you. Who are you? You're nobody. You're nobody. Don't, don't believe that. You are in Christ. But these guys were so far down the list. I, this is incredible how Jesus picks these guys, the nobodies, and that's exactly the way He wants it. Because they don't have room to boast before the Lord. Now, all the way through the time that Jesus was teaching them, they were a little bit high-minded. And, uh, of course, they wanted to be first in the kingdom of God or right underneath Jesus, right hand, whatever, right? But in the end, God chooses who He chooses in order that He might receive the glory. That's how He does it. He chooses in order that people might say, boy, it wasn't through those guys. You know, everything was accomplished. How the church got started, it certainly couldn't have been those guys. And that's exactly the way that God wants it. Because He gets all the glory and we get nothing. Now, we do get glory. Glory is coming. But... We just cast our crowns right back to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Guide us into what Your truth is here today as we peer into the very Word that You have left us. This is amazing that we can come here every week and we can study this and know for certain, without a doubt, this is true. And not only is it true and it's head knowledge, but it's something that applies to our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles, stand up, turn to chapter 6, verse 12. Now I'm going to read a whole section here, and we're not going to do this whole section today. 6.12 It was at this time that He went off to the mountain to pray. He spent the whole night in prayer to God. When day came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother. James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas. James the son of Alphaeus and Simon who is called the Zealot. Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Jesus came down with them, stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of His disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch Him for power was coming from Him and healing them all. Blessed be the Word of God. You can be seated. It's the Word of God for us today. Like I say, we will not get through that. We will probably get through a part of verse 14. 
I have it in your outlines that we have more there, but after I got through and put all this and filled the outline, I realized that there's just no way we're going to do that. I was thinking positive. Not trying to rush through, but it was like, okay, we'll probably take a little more time on the, uh, the apostles than I figured. Anyway, we start with Jesus praying. Verse 12. It was at this time they went off to the mountain to pray. He spent the whole night in prayer to God. So here's the timing of it. It was at this time. He said, what time? Was it a Passover? Was it one of the feast days? Was it unleavened bread? Was it Pentecost? Was it the one of those kind of things? Feast of first fruits? What what is this? What 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 is this? Some particular time, it's really not. If uh you go back to verse 11 of chapter 6. Right on the heels of this verse uh, 11 is verse 12 and we get the answer of what is going on. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. They themselves were filled with rage. Who's that? Is that the apostles? It's the ones who want to kill Him. That's your religious leaders there uh, because He healed on the Sabbath. There was a man had a withered hand and he said, stretch it out. Well, he couldn't do that before. He stretched it out. <laughs> he was healed. Jesus did things like that. And the more these guys got so mad, this time they're filled with rage. Now they're talking, okay, we've got to get something together. This, this is it. It's the last straw. We've got to take care of him. It was at that time. It was at this kind of time that's going on. I mean, the hostility is incredible now. It's, it's grown. Okay, if you were to look back in former sections, we saw that He had healed on the Sabbath right there, right? Go back a little further, we see that He worked on the Sabbath. His disciples worked on the Sabbath as they picked out grain to eat from a field. And that was not good because it was a Sabbath. They weren't to do that. And then we go back a little further and we see that he ate with sinners. Ugh, forbid. Tax collectors and sinners. Which tax collectors were sinners. So he ate with them. And by the way, he also forgave sin, he said. So with all of those, so that's what we did in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. That's what so many weeks we've been spending on, right? That's why it culminates into the 6.12 now where he goes to pray. Because he takes this seriously. He knows they want to kill him. It's already happened in his hometown, if you remember. It's from Nazareth. He taught in the synagogue. People liked it. And then he started saying some things that really offended them because he had said that the Gospel would go out to people that were not deserving of it. It would go to the Gentiles. And sometimes God operated that way when He didn't help out the Jews, but He did the Gentiles. Ooh, that did it. He was going so good. And then He starts talking about sovereign choice of God. Electing others who don't deserve it. Like they did deserve it? No. Well... This is an epic at this time. He's at the center of controversy, isn't he? And most of the people in the nation really are liking this. I mean, the throngs are there. And of course, you look down a few verses later in verse 17, it talks about a large crowd, a great throng of people. And so they keep coming, but he has to prepare his official representatives. And he better do it quick. He better get them prepared. So he goes out and picks this ragtag bunch. That's why you need to pray. <laughs> he needs to pray, you know. And of course, they've been chosen already of who they are. He gets with the Father's will on this, how it's going to be done, who they are, the whole plan of God. And it says it was at this time that he went off to the mountain. What mountain? We don't know which mountain. There are a lot of mountains all over Israel. It doesn't matter. 
He did this often anyway, didn't He? He'd go to some place where it was quiet. But it says here, and He spent the whole night in prayer to God. Spent the whole night. In light of the growing hostility and selecting the twelve, I think it would be a good idea to go pray, wouldn't it? Jesus prays. Spent the whole night in prayer to God. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament that it's mentioned where we have someone spending the whole night in prayer using that language. Now, that's not to say that Jesus didn't do that before. But this is the time where Luke puts this, and so we want to go to the significance of really what he's saying here. Now, this is a this is a pattern of, of Jesus' life, isn't it? I mean, this is His life. I mean, He is in constant communion with the Father. And whenever crowds are around Him, sometimes He has to withdraw. At the end of the day, He could have kept on going on into the wee hours of the morning. But He needed to go to be with the Father, didn't He? So, nothing unusual. Chapter 5, verse 16 says uh, something like that. Verse 15, the news about Him was spreading even further. Large crowds were gathering to hear Him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus Himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. That's what He did. We know that Jesus did that. That's what He did. He spent the whole night. Okay, now, in the Greek, and the way that it's set up here, this is fascinating, and it says the whole night. In our English, we don't quite get that, and it's in a few words. He spent the whole night. He spent the whole night. Well, in, in the Greek, you have a word, one word, dianuktera, and it means to endure through the night. One word. To endure through the night. It means that there is effort that is made. It it doesn't mean that he just went and spent the whole night in prayer, which he did, but it means he put effort. It wasn't that he stayed awake all night and prayed, but it was that he endured through the night. Uh, He endured. He persevered. Have you ever tried to spend the whole night in prayer? Probably not. I haven't. I tried to do a couple of hours one time. And you know, you can have a lot of things on your on your mind and you know after even for an hour you can pray, you know, you know, by yourself and it gets up to about a couple hours you start running out of things. We really shouldn't. We could go right to scripture and find all sorts of things that are scriptural prayer, but uh in that sense, you know, and I know praying always, but that's being God conscious, but he endured through this. He wants to pick exactly the ones that God desired, God the Father desired, the ones who they had already come up with. So Luke uses this rare word here, this one Greek word, to really get it across that he endured the whole night in prayer to God. Notice that, in prayer to God, to God the Father. So there is one person of the Trinity speaking to another one in the Trinity. Jesus' relationship is perfect unity with His Father. Okay, with that in mind, if Jesus needs to pray all night and He chose to to choose these disciples here, how much more do we need to pray over little, you know, I guess you could say over the smallest decisions that we have come up with. I'm not saying praying all night, a matter of hours, but I'm saying how much do we really need to be seeking the Lord? So important. So that definitely a lesson there. In itself right here, this verse 12 is a message, isn't it? It's about prayer. And if we don't take the time to get alone, and that's the idea that he went off to the mountain to pray, got alone from everybody. You know, it's one thing to pray with people, to pray for people with people, you know, in public, and there's time for that. But most of the time, we're not in a a crowd. We're to get alone with God, aren't we? And that sounds kind of familiar on the Tuesday night study, doesn't it? Communion with God. It's not just about prayer. It's 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 a whole lifestyle. It's it is our life. And here's what Jesus is doing for us. He's interceding for us. 
And here's how we commune back with Him. That's what we're doing Tuesday night. So that that's, kind of goes along with this verse right here. It was very important for Jesus. You know, there's power in prayer. There really is. And you felt it when people have prayed for you. You felt it, haven't you? Or you just know it. Somebody's praying for me. Sometimes you say, there's got to be a lot of people praying for me right now. Oh, I'll see how this is possible. Thank you, Lord. But it's very important. It's important for Jesus because how many different events did He have in His life where there was prayer dealing with it at that time or before that time? Look in, uh, just, we'll just look in Luke. Look at uh, Luke 3.21. This is the baptism of Christ. Now, now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while He was praying, heaven was opened. Right there. At that time of baptism. And before that, you know, He had been praying. And, but here it is. Then heaven is opened. Of course, the Holy Spirit descends. and You have the voice, You are My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. As the Father speaks. The whole Trinity is there. And so, that's one text that's a huge event, isn't it? The baptism of Jesus. Now, you go to chapter 5, verse 16, which we have been in that section recently in chapter 5. 16, but Jesus Himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. We've read that earlier. Here's dealing with so much popularity. Throngs of crowd are around Him and He's being zapped as far as His energy is concerned. He loves to minister. That's why He's here. But there's times when He has to get away to the Father. If we don't have that time, we don't have that kind of um, power then. It's really important. If we don't take time to get alone, then we're not people of prayer. We need to be people of prayer, don't we? Another one is found in chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now, we haven't been there yet. You probably read Luke 11, 1 and 2. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught us, taught His disciples. But He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You know, that model prayer that he gives them. Here's how you do it. Start off with praying to the Father. He's your Father. Great Father's Day message right there. We got it in today, folks. Hey, what'd you guys do today? Well, we had a Father's Day message. What what book? What chapter was it? Chapter six of Luke. Praying to the Father. Right? He depended on it. Lord, teach us to pray. They wanted to learn how He prayed. You tell us how to pray. They, they had heard these other prayers by the Pharisees and the leaders. It was all by road. It was automatic stuff. Thank You, Lord, for making me as good as a person as I am. Thank You that I'm not like that man over there. That's the kind of prayers that they had. That Jesus said, You pray like this. You don't have to say these exact words. But here's what I'm saying. Here's the model here. Father, He's holy and He's got a kingdom. And, uh, His kingdom is coming. Give us our daily bread. Thank You, Lord, for the food that You give us. And You forgive us our sins. Thank You, Lord, for forgiveness of sins. And we are to forgive our sins. Or forgive other sins, I mean. And don't lead us into any kind of temptation, Lord. You know, make this make this trial not be a temptation that I'd sin. So we get a little shortened version there uh, in chapter eleven. But you notice he was praying even before that happened, as he teaches him to pray. Another one is where Peter was going to deny the Lord. The Lord already knew that; He told him that. He says, Peter, I do want to tell you, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. 
but I have prayed for you. And he did sift him like wheat. Peter at the time said, Oh, no, no, I wouldn't. Do... No, there's no way that I'll do that. Uh, that he had failed. That he had denied. Um, 22, verse 32, there of Luke. We're just staying in Luke here for a moment, aren't we? Luke 22, 32. 31, Simon, Simon. He calls him Simon there. He doesn't call him Peter, which means rock. This time he calls him Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He denied the Lord three times, but he prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. And once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What he's saying is you're going to come out of this. You're going to fail. People fail. We all fail. But I prayed for you. What is Jesus doing for us right now? As we worship Him, you know what He's doing? He's really interceding for me (laughs) to make sure that I get this right to give it out to you people. But He's interceding for you. He's interceding for us all to be able to understand who He is and what He has for our lives, doesn't He? He's interceding for us right now that we would have a true worship. That we'd be focused on Him. That's what it's about, right? It's really what it's about. Of course, we're not Peter said, Lord, with you. Peter said, but, you know, Lord, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. <laughs> At the very moment we know that when he could have said, yes, I'm with the, my Master Jesus from Galilee. I know Him very well. Yes, I'm with Him. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. (laughs) That's kind of one of those studies of Peter. He's one of the apostles. Oh, Luke 22, 41-45. This is Christ praying in Gethsemane. The night before He's going to be crucified, He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and He knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Yet not My will, but Yours be done. Boy, that is right at the top of what prayer is about, isn't it? I'm praying that His will would be done. We can pray what we think is right and that's okay and what what we want, give Him our desires, but at the end of it, what do we say? But it's Your will, Lord. You know what's best. So, anyway. The the very suffering of Christ He was praying for. Praying for Himself there. But it was about God's will. So, there we have part one, the prayer that Jesus had. We go to verse 13 in Luke 6. And when day came, remember it's been all night, He's really been sweating this out. Not only staying awake, but praying hard. A day came, he calls disciples to him. Remember, he has a lot of disciples at this time. We'll see in verse 17, it says that Jesus came down with them, stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples. Usually when you think of the disciples, you think of the twelve disciples, which is true. But out of that huge crowd of disciples, followers, learners, he's going to just choose twelve. Wouldn't you think that he would want a whole entourage? <laughs> well, when you have these guys, about 12 is all you can handle. Actually, maybe 11. <laughs> say that in humor, but the 12 is really a, a key element here involved. It says that 
day came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them. John 15, 16 says it all. Right here. Perfect agreement. John 15, 16 You did not choose Me but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Did Jesus' prayer come true? Yes. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in My name, His will in Jesus' name by His authority, He may give to you. (laughs) He chose them. The disciples were chosen sovereignly by God. I think of John 17 where Jesus had a great prayer. One you can read and see the intimate prayer that He had with the Father. John 17, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. He is saying that You restore me, Father, to the glory that I had before the world was. And then in verse 6, I have manifested Your name, Father, to the men whom You gave me. Who gave me? Whom to who? The Father gave the, we'll say at this time, the disciples, those men, those apostles, to the Son. The Father gives men to the Son. So we read 6, I have manifested your name. They know about you, Father. I have manifested, I've made it known. To the men whom you gave me out of the world, They were yours. They were yours. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. These are the disciples. As you read through chapter 17, we don't have the time to go verse by verse on this, but you'll see it's not only the disciples, but it's also for the rest of the church. It's also for us as you see this. And we know, looking at John earlier in in passages where it says the Father gave those to His Son. We are special from the Father to the Son. Anyway, verse 7 says, Now they have come to know that everything you have given Me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. They received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours. You gave them to me. They're still yours. But they're mine. In the Trinity, everything belongs to each person in the Trinity. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. You keep them the name which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are. The unity in the Trinity is perfect. Always has been perfect. Never any disunity ever and ever will be. That's hard to imagine. They've always gotten along on everything. (laughs) Anyway, these disciples with those kind of Scriptures, did not choose to follow Jesus, did they? 
They did not volunteer. They didn't have some kind of application that they brought to Jesus showing some of their past ministries and how they can be of real help to Him. They didn't apply for the job. They were chosen by God. They were chosen after a night of prayer. Actually, they were chosen before the foundation of the world. But it comes into action at this particular time. They were chosen to be taught the true things of God and how this works. Taught the Gospel. Look at Mark 3.14. Verse 13 says, And He went up on the mountain, sound familiar, and summoned those whom He Himself wanted, and they came to Him. Now there, Mark just says He went up on a mountain, and He summoned those who He wanted. Now, this means there's actually a lot of people around and everything, but He... You, 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 you. Twelve of them. They, they come up there. They've been following Him for a little while. And He appointed twelve, verse 14. Look at this. Here's what we're getting at. So that they would be with Him. Why? That He could send them out to preach. And to have authority to cast out the demons. And He appointed the twelve. And then you have the names. This is the parallel gospel that goes along with where we're at in Luke. That's what He did. It's chosen. I could just see it. Couldn't Peter be out there? <laughs> you know, you know, remember playing baseball when you were a kid? And you, know, you might be at school or something and you have two captains and they choose you know, who, who they want. And wow, there's only about three of us left. Am I going to be last? Yeah. Uh, I made the team. <laughs> you got chosen. I mean, you you know, no matter what, you know, hey, you know. They go, ooh, no. But Jesus knows exactly who it is. They were chosen to be taught. They were chosen to be drawn near. To be with Him. You know, there's no way that they can go out unless they have been with Him first. I mean, to really know Him. Is there any way that we can do anything without being in the presence of God? Isn't that really what everything is about? Starting with prayer and then just constantly knowing that. You know what? He is under no obligation at all to choose any of these men. Matter of fact, let's just lay it out. He doesn't need these men. I said earlier that He does. And humanly, there is. Here's He's playing and there was no other way. Yes, He does need the men. That's the way that He designed it. He could have done just this. I'm Jesus. I'm Christ. I'm going to die for their sins. And uh, I will ascend. And as time goes on, people will just say yes to me. He could have done that. And you not have any of the disciples. No people come and bring the Gospel to you. That's really how you learn who the Gospel is. People go out and preach it. They teach it. One-on-one. It's the best way to do it. And even better if they know you and you know them. They see your lifestyle. They're drawn to this. Well, what is it that you have? You know, and... Uh, but if if it's a one shot thing, sometimes you want to get in this, you know, and uh, whether they see you again or not, at least they know what the gospel is—the good news. Well, he's designed all of us to be able to give this kind of truth that people can be brought out of a lost state into a saved state, be brought into the kingdom of God. But he used quote foolish ways. It's foolish to the Jews, to the Gentiles, this Gospel is. He could have just zapped us. Matter of fact, He could have just zapped us and brought us right on into heaven. Now, I've kind of wondered that myself down through. Why didn't you just go ahead and take us on in? We don't have to go through all this. Ooh. Well, His plan is, is that we go through all of this. Even the worst test so that He can take all that muck and mire, the dross off the gold, 
and our faith be real at the end of the day. And when we go through it, we realize, oh, Christ went through this, didn't He? Yeah, He took the dregs, didn't He? He went through more than we ever did because He took the sin, all the sin of the world, not just yours and mine, but everybody's as far as the ones He's going to bring in. And that was the price that He paid. He redeems us. So, He did not have an obligation to choose these disciples. But this is His plan. This is what He's going to have to do. He had no obligation to save all of mankind, did He? That's what people like to think. That He came here to save all and He failed for the most part. He got a few. Few there be that find it. No. The ones He came for, He bought and paid for because the Father gave those ones to the Son The Son protects, the Holy Spirit protects, seals them, and they're His forever. And none will be lost. That's a great Father. That's a great Son. That's a great Holy Spirit. He came here to save whom He had chosen. He freely offers salvation to all, but nobody really wants Him. But the ones who are His will one day answer the call. That may go for decades. But someday there's going to be a call. How's the call come? Through the Gospel. It's either going to be through a Bible and somebody picks it up and reads it. most part, God uses men. He uses fishermen. As He sends out the net and brings them in. It's a matter of grace, isn't it? It's all grace. That's grace. Nobody is deserved. See, that's the thing is, that's not fair that He would save a few and not save them. What are we saying when we say that? He doesn't know best? Or He's weak? He couldn't save them because they couldn't answer His call? It's complicated. And it goes beyond our minds and our thinking. All we know is that nobody deserves this. Why me? And that's the attitude that He wants. Why would He choose me? Why would I desire to follow Him? I never did before, and now I do. Why is that? Because God intervened in our lives. Why do people say yes? Because He chose us. He put it into our hearts. He changed us. Well, the reason for seeking guidance from the Father here, that's one of the main things that He's praying about. The selection of the twelve. These men would carry on His work after He's gone. Jesus would focus His time now and His effort as He was around thousands of people. At the same time, He wants them to see Him, what He does, what He says. He wants them to be taught, to be trained. You can imagine the the times that they were alone and He taught them. Can you imagine the greatest teacher in all the universes right there with them? And by the way, they're going, huh? (laughs) I hope, what? What? What's that mean? What's He mean? What's He mean He's going to have to die? What does that mean? I don't get it. He focuses time on them. They in turn then would take the Gospel and train others. That's how it works. We, we get taught and then we train others. You say, huh, I'm no teacher. Yes, you are. Whatever the Gospel is that you know, Take somebody that knows less than you do and teach them the Gospel. Go ye therefore making disciples. Back a week ago or so, I heard Chuck Swindoll. And it's interesting. He said, Swindoll must be in his... Must be past his hundreds by now. He's always looked the same, sounded the same. You know, I, I heard him back in the 70s. He had a radio show back in the 70s. And this was at the time I really, you know, I might have been late 70s, something like that. And I didn't know who he was and even watched a video uh, of him. And 
I'm going, huh, that guy's famous. And uh, he's still doing it. Guy's still alive, still teaching. He looks the same, and his voice is a little bit rougher. He's in Frisco, Texas. He started out in um, in California, and so he still has this church. So I was listening to that, and it's on my way to work. It's about five minutes to work, so I, I get a little snippet here and there. It's just oh, what's Chuck Swindle got to do? Say here. Sometimes I'll listen to music to try to get me going for those five minutes. But here, here's the story. Carolyn's going like this. Come on. Come on. <laughs> he said, "You know what? I." cannot use the word retire anymore. At that time, I was thinking about five years or so from now, I'd probably be retiring. Well, that's okay. I, I take the same thought, but it was like, he, he says, it's no longer in his vocabulary, retire. Retire. Yeah, what is that? Well, to retire from a particular job, yeah, that, that's okay. But you're still here to keep on working, serving. We, you know, you never give up preaching, teaching the gospel, whether it be in a um, format like this, like a Sunday school class, whatever, or just one-on-one, hoping to give somebody the gospel. You don't retire from that. And so when you think about it, and he used this passage in, in, in our um, Matthew 28, 19. This is what we are called to do, folks. This is our calling. This is what every one of us does. He gave a great commission before He ascended. Starting in verse 16, the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain. There was another mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. And here we go. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What is he saying there? As you go, it's not go out, go to Africa. It says as you go, your daily living. That's the idea. Go and make disciples. Make learners of people everywhere. Gentiles, Jews, whoever, all of them. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all that I commanded. This is not just to the apostles. This is to the whole church because if it's just to the apostles, then it stopped right there, then after their time, right? No. Those people were faithful in continuing to give out the Gospel. What would happen if they stopped? The church stops. God's plan is that it's going to continue on until He comes back. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? I'm with you, but I will come back. So that... That church continued to do that. This generation did it. The next generation did it. They kept handing down the truth of the Gospel. Now, it did get watered down very quickly. had total misunderstandings of what the truth was about, and all of a sudden it developed into some kind of hierarchy that was never intended. We had the Dark Ages for a thousand years, but there were people that were God's people through those thousand years. And then you had the Protestant Reformation and it got back to the Word of God like it should have been again. Back to the truth. So we'll give a little history there. And of course, I, I've now lost where I was talking about. Oh, about going make disciples. You don't retire. You go and make disciples. As you go, you make disciples. While you're working or if you don't have the job anymore then that's okay too. You still have a job here. You're still here on earth. You have things to do. Here's your command. You make disciples. You make learners. Find somebody that knows less than you do. Sit down with them and teach what you know. i got a feeling you've got a lot that you'd like to share with people only if they wanted to hear it, right? But believe me, there's somebody out there that needs to know what you have.
You can say, well, I'm not qualified. Are you a Christian? Did you know how you got saved? You might know this. Hey, listen, here's my life. Here's the things that I did before. And all of a sudden there was a change in my life. Jesus did it. There was sin here and He takes my sin away. It's the good news. That's about all I know. Here's the way I was. Here I am now. It's Christ and Christ alone. Hey, if that's all that you have, good. Learn more and then teach it to somebody that knows less. There's always going to be somebody that knows less than you do, right? Verse 20 of that Matthew 28. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Teaching them the Word of God. Teaching them the Gospel. Wow. That is what He wanted the disciples to do. That's what they have done all the way up into our time. And you know what? We have a lot to be thankful for because those people were faithful in putting the Word to other people. People became saved. The church continued. What would happen if this generation dropped the ball and didn't get the Gospel out anymore? Well, it's not going to happen unless Jesus comes back. (laughs) Maybe that's the reason He has to come back. I won't say that. I just came out of the top of my head. But do you get it? That really is what we really do in our lives. Regardless of whether we're working a job, not working a job, going to school, not going to school, whatever it is, our real job that we do not retire from is making disciples. That's what we're about. Paul realized that. And all the other ones that he trained, and they kept doing that. So they taught and trained exactly what Jesus taught them. So, we have the twelve now. Why does he choose twelve? Probably it's linked to the twelve tribes of Israel. Can't tell you for sure, but I would think that's probably one of the reasons why. And by the way, he's already said, old wine doesn't go into the new wine skins, right? You have to have the new wine. The new covenant is there's something new happening. We did a message on that, right? Something new. So, and that's what he's doing. That's what's happening. So you have the, the, the people of God here. They're the twelve now that contain the new wine of the kingdom. A new people of God. Later on, he would choose 70 you know, groups of, of twos. It would be a mission there. And they were considered to be disciples. But that's not to be confused with the twelve apostles. Twelve had a special place of importance. Jesus later told them that in His kingdom, they would sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Look in Luke 22, verse 30. Verse 28 says, You are those who have stood by Me in My trials. You've stayed with Me. And just as My Father has granted Me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at My table in My kingdom. I'm not forgetting about you. You'll eat and drink at My table and My kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There's your twelve. The twelve tribes of Israel. We've heard of that all through the Old Testament. And He says you're going to be ruling there. In Revelation 21, verse 14. Twelve again. And the wall of the city, Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Who are the twelve apostles of the Lamb? It's these guys right here. It is these hayseeds, <laughs> these fishermen from. Somewhere up in Galilee, basically. Incredible. And they're going to have their names there on the foundation stones. So you could be from Mayberry to 
You could be from Mayberry and do all right. <laughs> that is God's plan. That's who He uses. It wasn't anybody famous at all, was it? There's the choosing of the twelve. Special place that they would have. They're called apostles, apostole. Apostole means to send from. The twelve apostles. Apostles, to send from, to send away from. Now there's a lot of disciples, but they are the twelve apostles here. Out of the group of huge disciples, he chooses twelve men. Tells me something about these terms, disciples and apostles. All the apostles were disciples. But not all disciples were apostles. Disciple means, uh, it's matetas, means a learner. We are disciples. We are learners, aren't we? We learn continually. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we read the Bible every day. We're learners. We're sitting at the feet. It means to sit at the feet of another and learn. And when you sit in the New Testament, it's synonymous with believers, disciples, learners. Jesus has these 12 men. He's going to delegate His power. He's going to delegate His authority. He's going to delegate His message, the gospel of the kingdom, of the glory of God. And they're going to go out and represent Him these men. They are going to be the official representatives. And they have no gowns to show. They have no degrees. There they are representing Him. Mark says, and He appointed twelve that they might be with Him. It's really critical that they be with Jesus. As he sends them out. What kind of method does he have here? Well, he entrusts the entire kingdom of God to these men. His method was to train them to train others so that they would train others, so that they would train others, so they would train others, and on and on and on to where we're at now. That's the idea. That's the principle of multiplying. You've heard of people use uh, illustrations of that. First of all, let's look at the scripture. I like this better. 2 Timothy 2.2 This is just what we just talked about. Um, This is the one who we call young Timothy and he was taught by Paul. Then Timothy taught what Paul had taught him. Um, 2 Timothy 2.2 I said, right? Okay, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We teach. They learn it. They teach. Simple. Here's how, uh, I guess you can say, the principle of multiplication can yield amazing results. I put this out knowing that it can't always you know, work this perfectly way that we would put out here. But if you had a choice of two jobs, one of them would each one of them would last thirty-five days. One of them is where you get a thousand dollars a day. But you, everybody here would take that job. Thirty-five thousand dollars in thirty-five days, and then that's it. Or you can take the thirty-five days and another job. And you can get a penny the first day. Second day, it's multiplied. That figure is multiplied. And then you, you what, you're up to eight cents after, what, three days or something like that. You know, you keep on going. It takes a little while. By the time you get to 35 days, using this principle, you know how much you would have? Do you think you would get the $35,000? Well, actually, it's $171 million $798,717.84 if you were to get paid a penny 
and it multiplies itself each day. Uh, so, the idea is here, if every Christian here would lead one person to Christ in the next year, and you teach them that they would teach others, I'm not going to give you any figures. Can you imagine what it would go to? Well, it wouldn't take long to actually get to where billions could hear the Gospel. Now, those are possibilities we throw out. Things like that don't work in a... In a in, it's not a perfect world that we're in. But it's saying if we can... If each one of us could reach one this year and the next year, can you imagine what God could do with that as they also do the same thing? It's worth thought, isn't it? Really key. It's challenging. Go and make disciples. Matthew 28.19 We got on to the, the next one and I'll tell you what. All I'm going to do is just give us a taste. We're, we're going to finish here because we have a list of 12 men. I actually had them on the outline and I already told you that that's not going to happen. I will tell you just enough about it to wet our whistles and, and we'll see how God works with these particular men as we look into their lives as much as we possibly can. These men chosen by God, chosen by Jesus, gives a list. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John. They're very ordinary men. They are very ordinary. I mean, they are just as common as you can be. I doubt if any of us would have ever chosen them to take such a job as being apostles of Christ. Like I say, they were not educated in rabbinic schools. They were not from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Hardly any of them were successful businessmen. The reason I say hardly is the fishermen did pretty good. Matthew did just great. So I guess, you know, in that sense. But that wasn't really a respectable job, I guess you could say. There are like four lists of the apostles and Matthew and Mark and, and uh, Luke and Acts. Those four lists are there. As the order goes, they're somewhat different. Or you'll see a name where you don't see a name in another one or something like that. It's a different name. You always see 12. Usually that different name means another name that they had. And so, you know, sometimes... Well, let's take Peter, for instance. He's known as Simon, but he's also known as Peter. Uh, there's also Bartholomew, who also is known by a different name. But in these groups, and I like to see them as three groups of apostles where there are four in each one, because in every listing in those groups are these men. They might be flip-flopped or a different name or something, but they're really the same people. Uh, they vary somewhat. But I will tell you that Peter is always first. That doesn't sound too surprising. Um, kind of interesting. Um, only Luke, among all the other Gospel writers, is one that calls them apostles at this time. Because he knows where all this is heading. He knows where this is taking them. And I'm not even going to really do Peter here, but just to introduce it a little bit, remember that he's given a nickname by Jesus. Kind of fascinating. Petros. We all know him by Peter. Means, well, there's a Hollywood actor by the name of The Rock. <laughs> Peter is The Rock. Peter at times was so fascinating. You might remember, what does Peter say? Lord, Lord, I'll never do that. I'll never turn my back on you and deny you. And then, of course, he did. Uh, he's a fisherman. Very vacillating though. Um, he becomes to be the, a rock of God. A rock. Jesus knew who He was when He got Him, but He calls Him the rock because He knows what He's going to make out of Him. 
Simon was a leader. He had a leadership all the way through in him. That's why he's always first among all the list of the apostles and in his group. And of course, he's at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there. It's Peter's there. I mean, he's right there with Jesus. He's walking on the water. Man, he's looking great. He's, you know, he's, he's got to be smiling. You know, look at this, you know. And what happened? He kind of looked down, you know, took his eyes away from Christ. Whatever that means, what happened? You know, he started sinking, right? This is Peter. There's one story after another. Everybody knows about Peter. I mean, it's, you know, you get more of him than you do anybody else. Andrew happens to be his brother. Andrew, you don't hear too much about at all. But I will tell you, just to give you a little bit of hint of this. Um, by the way, all of these men would be considered unqualified. Now, they don't meet the expectations, the qualifications that we do. But God's list of qualifications are taught by Jesus, being with Him. And then when the Holy Spirit came, it's amazing what happened and how they changed very quickly after the ascension of Jesus. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit comes. They're saying things and doing things that they never could do before. Andrew happens to be Peter's brother. How would you like to be known as Peter's brother the rest of your life? Oh, that's Peter's brother. What's his name? Oh, man. Man. Oh, Andros. Oh, Andrew. Yeah, of course. Well, that's really what his name meant. Man. Andrew. He's got a Greek name. Really? Well, that's cool. He was up, up there in Galilee. You know, you think, why not a Hebrew name? Uh, you know what? Here's what he did. He left the fishing business, went on to join John the Baptist and the disciples there. Now, Peter didn't do that. Andrew did. Who brought Jesus? Who brought who to Jesus? Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus. It takes an Andrew to make a Peter here. This Simon. He's always bringing someone to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. He brought a boy with the five loaves and two fish to Jesus. What's Andrew doing? That's right. You bring him to Christ, right? He brought some Greek-speaking people that he just met out there in a crowd and he brought them to Jesus. They're wanting to know, where's he at? You know, He's a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. He's not at the Mount of Transfiguration like Peter, James, and John were. That one group is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But he, it was those three guys and he wasn't there. You know, we're not all destined to be leaders, but we're dest- but we can be an Andrew. We can bring people to Christ. And that's really what it takes. There's a lot of lessons in what we looked at today. But we're dealing these men became faithful. They served according to the gifts that were given to them. And that's all that God requires of us. To be led by His Spirit, take the gifts, and use them. How about that wrapping up as a package? Happy Father's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your truth, Your great wisdom. Thank You for giving us insight as Luke wrote this Gospel. And we see that You take ordinary people, people that seem to be nothings to the rest of the world, and You bring them into the best possible position they can be, sons and daughters of Yours, and carrying the most precious thing that they could possibly have that will last for eternity, and that's called the Gospel, the Word of God. Thank You for allowing us to peer into this today and Your Holy Spirit guiding us into this truth. May You be honored. In Your Son's name, Amen.